Hey, welcome to Women White in Leadership, where we hang out with women who are living a little bit higher and better than we are right now so that we can raise our own game. We need more women to rise to leadership. We need more women to own their place at the table and stop waiting to be invited. And what we do here is share strategies to make sure that we keep our minds sharp and ready to answer the call of leadership when it comes. So grab yourself a glass of wine, pull up a chair, and enjoy today's podcast talking about personal growth strategies that help to fuel greater thinking, happiness, and a quantum level of contribution to the world. It's a real joy to have Maria Elizabeth Melly on my Women, Wine, and Leadership podcast. We met with wine glasses in our hands at an oh. e-women event. <laughs> and I saw your glasses and said, we have to be friends. I don't know what you saw in me. Um, <laughs> you had some really cool glasses on that day as well. Was I wearing glasses that day? You were. and they were Fixing glasses. Really connect, yeah. Makes us, you know, feel so much um, more in connection with all those um, ultra intelligent people. <laughs> I agree. In fact, can I share a funny? I have somebody. Um, I recently started running these Facebook ads, and uh, there's a man in Florida who has taken deep offense to my glasses because they make me look like a feminist. Oh. <laughs> and it just cracks me up. Do feminists wear really bold you glasses? Feminist, terrible woman, you with those terrible <laughs> feminist glasses. I mean, the comments are hysterical. So anyway, today That's I funny. I want to know. I want to dissect his psyche and wonder well, who in his life dropped that impression. <laughs> I, I did too. I tried to engage him in conversation, and he just wouldn't enter a conversation. He would just keep attacking, and so I finally had to ban him. But but uh, but I found it fascinating. Glasses can be such a statement a statement, a conversation starter, and it might end a few. But I love your glasses. I love your brand. And I love that since we met, your brand has evolved. Yes. And I love, because I'm all about life strategy design, I love to know what is that thing that causes you to, to go back to the drawing board and recreate. And I think we all need to give ourselves permission to recreate Yes. more often because we don't need to stay married to what we've created before. So tell us a little bit about how you started coaching, what you started with, and then what launched, blossomed this new branding. So I began, the first time I began coaching was actually in 2003, four, when I left my practice as a licensed acupuncturist and spiritual healer because I really wanted to step out of the medical model and worked, work in this format where uh, I already see my clients as brilliant and they don't see themselves as broken and me trying to fix it, which right. is more of the medical idea, but um, really coming that they're brilliant and it's my job to elicit that brilliance. So I began coaching then and then quickly realized I was actually burnt out entirely on client work. I had been 13 years really hard at it. And so I took 10 years off to be a writer. I went back to school and I got an MFA in poetry and I uh, published a book and I co-edited an anthology. And then after about 10 years, I really missed working with people, you know? Right. And so I uh, ended up getting trained a second time in coaching. 
this time more with a relationship and sexuality focus. And that was in 2014. Right. So since then, I've been coaching again and writing more on the side, kind of coaching became more primary and writing still happens, but it's not as much. And um, I ended up changing last year. I began to focus on midlife because for me, this, this reinvention that I've experienced since my divorce and diving into, I got divorced in 2012 and then dove into really studying what makes me tick in relationships and what yeah. works for me. And I'm in the best relationship of my life now for over four years. And so I, I began to focus on midlife because it, that was my most potent transformation. Right. And then what I realized last year is I really have a lifelong um, struggle between being someone who loves her work and is deeply passionate about what I do, uh, whatever that is, whether it's writing or healing work or coaching. Yeah. Uh, I love it so much that very often my relationships have taken a backseat to that mm. and then suffered. And I looked around the creative and entrepreneurial space and I saw that everywhere, you know, that struggle to both be passionate about what you're here to bring into the world and also somehow have a great relationship. Right. If you're someone who cares about that, like if you don't care about having a relationship and you only want to be in your garret creating by yourself, wonderful, but you're not my person, you know? Right, right. Um, so I spent last year really clarifying and refining that and now call myself a relationship artist and help people bridge and integrate their love of their work with their love of their relationship. Yeah. So that each enhances the other. Yeah, absolutely. I love the term relationship artist. Thank and you, me too. <laughs> there's, there's something um, soul-filling about the, the thought of working on your art. So why not consider our relationships to be a primary form of art in our lives? Thank you. That's so beautifully said, because for me, it's, um, it speaks to that, you know, as, as creatives or entrepreneurs, we found this place where our channel is open, you know, the, the creative channel, our passion, our who we truly want to be in the world flows. Yeah. And for so many of us, it doesn't flow as naturally or easily in relationship. We weren't raised with great models. If mm -hmm. you look out in the culture, there aren't a lot of great models. And so for me, a lot of it is this kind of skills transfer, like what's already working great in your life? What are your most powerful skills and um, attributes that you just need to learn how to do better over here in this other space with another person? Yeah. Well, there's an interesting aspect to that, though. Um, you're talking about flow. It's so funny. Ever since somebody asked me to speak on flow, I've become this student at experiencing it because, you know, you always end up getting challenged with that thing that you're supposed to teach. Oh, my God. Totally. And um, I noticed that the flow in my work is not as um, natural and rich and energetic when my relationships are suffering. So yes. if I have a disagreement with my husband in the morning before I take off for my day, I feel disjointed. I feel like there's a bunch of rocks in my path. 
if I have a fight with my teenage daughter when I drop her off at school, I feel like I can't, I'm not in my flow until I fix that. So talk about flow and relationship harmony and how that opens up our creativity in general. Oh, that's so gorgeously put. Thank you for asking that because that is my whole deal. You know, that <laughs> we, we, um, when our relationships are on and flowing, when, when the love is flowing, when we feel supported, when our support is met with receptivity, you know, when that, when that cycle of giving and receiving is on yeah. in the relationship, it completely affects our work in a good way. Yeah. And the vice versa is also true. When that cycle of giving, receiving is off at home in some way, or there's a roadblock, or there's been a disagreement, and things feel crunchy, crunchy. it's going to feel crunchy at work. I mean, we, we it, how we do anything is how we do everything. Right? Yeah. And, and so, um, as I see it, when people balk at, like, oh, if I want to make my relationship better, am I going to have to take more time off of work? Like, am I going to have to compromise and, you know, give up what I love? My response is always like, no, it depends on what's most important to you. And do you want to be magnetic and, and feel in your flow at work? If so, then it behooves you to put some attention over here on the relationship to have it feel great. Right. So that you go into work nourished and and juiced up and you remember why you're here and that you're a we're being who's worthy of love and you're doing you know uh -huh. all that stuff gets nourished by our relationships feeling great so really great it reminds me of Brene brown's you know the worthiness of love and acceptance yes. we have a, a disagreement then it I don't know if it works for everybody this way, but if, if I feel like one person is questioning my worthiness, I question my worthiness across the spectrum. It's true. I don't think we can compartmentalize quite as much as we think we can. Mm -hmm. You know, some of us have the idea that we can compartmentalize, and I just don't think that's true. Yeah. Um, and and that's exactly what happens. If things are rocky over here in the relationship, then you know, that client who suddenly backtracked and decided not to work with us becomes, it means so much more than what it actually means, which is that other stuff came up in their life. You know, it's not about us, right? right. We're still awesome and wonderful to work with. And it just didn't work out with that person, right? So, but mm -hmm. when the things are rocky at home and we're questioning our worthiness or our, our deservingness of love, then something happening over on the other side with a client begins to mean more than it actually means. True. Yeah. C meeting and everything. Yeah. Definitely notorious for that. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an Enneagram type four. We're not going to get into the Enneagram. <laughs> um, you know, but I'm just super weird in that. So I, I, I still have to figure out what I actually am. I think I'm a three, but sometimes I'm a nine. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> One of these days, I'll uh, help you figure that out. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, we're talking about, um, the people who discover later in life uh, how it works. Uh, my my sister told me it, it took her her third marriage to finally learn some of the the ways of just navigating a relationship that um, that she could have learned years ago, and and she's planted those thoughts in my mind so that when I do run up against some kind of disagreement with my husband, I start to wonder, okay, what did what did my sister learn from this that I can learn from it now? 
So that's great. Now you said that you you're in a really thriving relationship now. So what advice do you have? I just have a niece who just got married. What advice do you give to people who are entering their first relationship? What are some things that you would have done differently? Oh, great question. Yeah. I, one of the things that really has helped us quite a bit is to really stay curious about each other. Uh-huh. It's so easy. Um, I like, I, I like to call it, you know, your, your, your partner or your husband or your wife, you know, they, they start to become part of the furniture. You barely see them anymore after a yeah. while because they're so familiar. Yeah. And the truth is that as much as you think, you know, someone, there is a whole lot of mystery right in there underneath that. Yeah. You know, you just have scratched the surface. Right. So make time. Don't wait till you're bored to try to spice things up, you know, while you're still into each other, <laughs> make time to ask each other questions and just that, that you don't usually talk about. Um, there's a great study that was done by the New York Times uh, and you can Google it. It's called, it's something like 36 questions to fall in love or some yeah, such. Yeah, and, and they had strangers, near strangers and strangers ask each other these 36 questions and by the end, pretty much everybody was in love with each other. And, and they're questions that you don't normally ask in a day-to-day -day scenario. So Google the 36 questions, pick a couple, Great. grab a glass of wine, and you know, take a couple of questions for an evening and, and talk about it. We'll do all 36 if you're super ambitious. But um, you, know, you could stretch this over weeks and months and just do two at a time and kind of linger. Yeah. You know, Make it a thing, like I think. That. I love this. I just looked it up. New York Times, the 36 questions that lead to love. I love that. That's the title. Yeah. I have a friend who took a, a flight to Europe with her husband, and she brought this book full of questions so that they'd have something to do on the plane that would connect them. I, it's so funny. I, I'm, I don't know. I'm admitting to, I admit to things all the time. That's awesome. I just took a two-hour flight with my family. And I told my husband, I just want you to, we don't always, our family don't travel together. My husband travels on business. I travel on business. <laughs> we hardly ever travel together. And I said, just so you know, I don't, I don't really talk on airplanes. <laughs> <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> my daughter heard me say that. And she said, mom, wow, way to engage. <laughs> I just don't. I, I'm saying Patrick and I don't really talk on airplanes. Either. Well, you know, and it's good to know that about each other too. You yeah. can, you can slip love notes to each other. You can, you know, can hand each other candy bars, but you know. Yeah, but that's kind of what, you know, or every now and then I'll squeeze his arm or I'll lean on him or, you know, we stay connected, but we don't have to be kind of in each other's business all the time. What a brilliant uh, concept that you can be connected without actually talking to each other. Oh yeah, it's the introvert's dream. <laughs> Being side by side, working on stuff, but not actually talking to each other. <laughs> I remember when we were first dating, I said, my happiest day would be a rainy Sunday afternoon with two of us on opposite ends of the couch, reading books and snuggling under a blanket. Yeah. Not actually awesome. really awesome. talking. Maybe there's wine involved at some point. Yeah. <laughs> there's always wine involved in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. Okay. I, I love, I love that you've reinforced that. I'll make sure that next time I sit next to my husband on the plane, I'll let him know. I don't want to talk to you, but I will touch your arm occasionally. Makes yeah. me feel 
that's beautiful. So that's a great second tip for people who are entering a relationship. And maybe if they do hit a, you know, let's say they're on a plane and they have nothing to talk about or don't want to talk, maybe they start to try to make meaning that that's a problem. And it's actually not, you know, some of the richest time you can spend together is together, but not facing each other, interacting, but just connected and together. And I find that super enriching. Yeah. Also. That's a really great perspective. Wow. What do you think is the number one most important thing to remind yourself each day when it comes to relationships? That we're on the same team. Yeah. It's so easy for me to forget um, as a woman who's raised to be independent, as a woman who has a hard time asking for help, as a woman You have on those glasses, you know. Yeah, I'm such a feminist. It's terrible. Um, you know, but it, it's sometimes it's quite easy for me to forget that we are on the same team. Not that he has done anything to indicate that we're not, but I uh, didn't grow up with the expectation of that. That just, you know, wasn't necessarily taught to me. So yeah. I, w- as we've worked with our own couples coach, um, we, that was one of the earliest lessons that we learned was particularly me. I mean, when we would get into a disagreement, then he would forget we're on the same team too. Mm -hmm. Uh, But very often now, if we are disagreeing about something or I'm stressed out about something, either he or I will say, wait a minute, wait a minute, same team. And then we continue the conversation from there and we shift the conversation. We still have to work out the disagreement, but we're not fighting for our life. You know, It, it, it tones things down and um, has you access your resourcefulness more powerfully when you remember that, oh, this person actually loves me and they want to be there for me, just like I want to be there for them. And so we're disagreeing about this thing. What would it look like to resolve it if we remembered that we're on the same team? Right. What a huge epiphany for those of us who work on teams at work all the time. And you presume that you're going to stay on the same team. You don't start working on a team with the presumptions that somebody's going to get fired. You know? Right, exactly. Why would we do that in our relationship? Well, we don't do that at home, do we? Well, I mean, and not we, natively. Yeah, and I think it's easy for us to feel at risk. And I know uh, for me, um, past abandonment comes back around. Exactly. And it's, it's ridiculous, but I mention this only because it's so ridiculous. My mother left when I was 10. Oh. And... Actually, we were quite happy because she was pretty abusive. And any time I really get uh, some negative feedback from my kids, and I'm like, would they be happier if I left? Oh. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It's, it's not. It makes total sense. It makes it's sense. It's just the wiring. It's just the neural wiring. Yeah. You got, and that can be rewired, too. Exactly. Yeah. And so starting with the idea that, we're on the same team or even telling yourself like, I'm not going to be abandoned here, you know, or uh-huh. whatever the thing is you need to do to self-soothe that little one that's expecting the worst, uh-huh. you know, that changes the tenor of your conversation, right? Because, you know, so often the thing that we're afraid will happen, uh-huh. we make happen by our behavior because we're right. fixated on it. We make it happen because we're working against that. Exactly. I can't remember who said this, but that most of us, the things that we're afraid of never happen. 
Yeah. They never actually happen, but if they do, it's, you have to wonder how much did I create this? Well, yeah, you do have to wonder that because how much did my expectation of that actually set up what I said and did yeah. that then create, you know, possibly created it. Mm -hmm. Cause you're setting that up. Boy, so much good stuff to talk about. I knew we could get in trouble going. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me what you're hoping to accomplish with your business and who looks you up? Who, who works with you? creatives and entrepreneurs who are struggling with this uh, tug of war between their love of their work and their relationship. Yeah. And they want to actually approach, I, my mentor says that business entrepreneurship is one of the best personal growth paths that there is. And I agree with that. And I would also posit that relationship is one of the best personal growth paths that there is as well. Uh -huh. right. And so if someone's interested in really getting clear about who they are across the board and how to have what they want across the board. Uh -huh. That's, that's my person. Yeah. That's great. That's I, great. I work with people generally from in their thirties through their fifties. I work with both men and women. I, it's been fascinating for a while. I really was focused on women and all of a sudden these young, like women in midlife was my <laughs> focus, but all of a sudden these 29, 30 year old men started reaching out for coaching so that's when I really started to realize, oh, there's a commonality happening between these, these different age groups. And yes. that is this tug of war and not quite knowing how to be my best self everywhere. Right. And that's an age when men are still in their self-discovery and they're at risk of losing relationships when they get those, those boundaries mixed up. That's right. That's right. It's a beautiful age. I, I just, I love that age. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> if only we could, uh, I, uh, if only I knew then, but I know now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I wondered, would I want to go back or do I love my post 50 self? Yeah. I, I actually don't think I'd want to go back. You know, I, I've, I've asked myself that question in the past week actually. And, and I, I wouldn't, you know, because with this whole turn of the decade and yeah, doing decade in review and things like that. And I, I really, I, I'm so much happier where I am now. Yeah, I, I love that concept of 2020 and what this decade holds. We yeah. have a lot of fun things in our family to look forward to in this decade. So um, oh, good. I'm excited about the change in your business and, and what that unlocks. I can't believe I was playing words with friends and your ad popped up. That was just, that's amazing. <laughs> that was great. So tell us how people can find you online. They want well, the best thing is to go to my website, which is memali.com, and that's spelled M-E-M-A-L-I, like the country in Africa.com. Uh -huh. Good. And okay. you can find information there. Uh, there's an opt-in. You can get a free gift, receive free resources from me. There's links to podcasts I've been on, such as this one, and really lots of information there uh, to help you improve your relationships and that's your great. sense of fulfillment. The value add, I love that. I'm going to go look up some of your recent stuff too. That'll be oh, thank you. preparation for Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I also do a weekly Facebook Live. Speaking of that, I do a weekly Facebook Live on Tuesday afternoons yeah. on my Facebook page, which is Facebook da, 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 and slash M E Molly Coach. So that's my professional page. So if you hit like on that page, 
you should be able to see notifications of my weekly broadcast. They're usually on Tuesdays around three o'clock. It, it sometimes shifts a little uh -huh. uh, in one direction or the other, but it's usually around three o'clock Pacific. And there's short videos that eventually get up on YouTube as well. But um, that's that's also a fun way to receive some free tips and 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 I'll be doing love and romance in February. January is going to be nice. lots of goal setting around relationship and things like that. And February will be more love and romance topics. So that's fantastic. So I'm I'm going to be publishing this toward the end of January, so we can Perfect. we can talk about your love in February. Yay! <laughs> and um, I, I, you you know that the reason why I created the title of this podcast, Women, Wine, and Leadership, is just because I love wine, and I'll find any excuse to talk about it. I actually created an analogy for uh, living our best lives that that's mirror mirrors the the characteristics of a fine wine so I, tell me i read that i love your writing on that it's really oh amazing. thanks thanks it's meaningful to me i'm glad i'm glad it hits a, a vibe with you so when you pull up a glass of wine you can be thinking about huh what have i done to create some good fruit in my life today yeah so what is it that you pull up what do you pour when you're relaxing on friday afternoon Lately, I'm I'm loving Vino um, Verde from Portugal. It's a very crisp, slightly effervescent white wine. Um, you know, it's not as bubbly as a full-on champagne or prosecco, but it's just the slight effervescence, and it's crisp and clean. And I I just um, it's delicious. I like the broad Brent broad bent variety or brand but um but really every vino verde i've tried because not everybody carries broadband they've all been delicious and nice. and clear there's just a crisp clarity to the flavor that i really like and then that little effervescence gives me joy that's neat would you say that if you were a varietal that you might be a vino verde that's a good question. Oh, if I were, were a varietal, I think if I were a varietal, I think be I think I'd be more of an albariño because albariño usually has like a slight I don't want to say weird, but there's there's something quirky in the albariño. Like it's also a pretty crisp clear wine, but um but it has a little bit of quirkiness. Yeah. And that's more me. I'm I'm pretty crisp and clear, but I'm also pretty quirky. <laughs> Yeah. Well, next time we do an interview, I'll wear my glasses, so we'll be matching. Oh, yay. Yeah, <laughs> I really, they're, they're so fantastic. <laughs> we, we were magnetized to each other by those glasses. <laughs> so true. Well, this is a lot of fun, and uh, I love getting to talk with you. In any case, we shouldn't wait for a, a podcast interview to have another conversation. I agree. <laughs> Let's definitely stay in touch. I'm I hope you enjoyed this edition of Women, Wine, and Leadership. If you're craving a little bit more information, make sure to go to 360lifestrategies.com and check on the podcast link for more information on each episode. You can also catch some conversation at the 360 Life Strategies page on Facebook. You can see what it looks like to live a life fully balanced and um, in harmony with people on the Instagram page at Donna Carlson 360. You can always check us out on LinkedIn and Facebook in the Women, Wine, and Leadership groups because we're there where you can just start a conversation with women just like you on the topics that we've discussed so that you can hopefully get some alignment and a little mentoring for your own life.
join us there and let us know what you think. Please rate this podcast. Until next time.